1: Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All America podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, senior editor here at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our lead college football writer at SportingNews.com. Bill, we are four days away from the national championship game and putting a bow on the 2022 season. What are your uh, plans between now and uh, getting on a plane and heading to LA? Yeah, we're just done. Uh, getting through
2: <clears throat> excuse me that's a great start um getting through the uh you know last pre- preview prep and um ready to go I mean I I'll be flying out to la for us on Friday night and then we have media day Saturday I think there'll be a lot of talk about it, it's interesting on the first teleconference the the Cinderella talk is real but as sonny Dyke said he said that's kind of wore off for us So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested I'm sure they're going to tire of Cinderella and, you know, Team Destiny and all that talk. But that's, in some senses, that's what they are.
1: No doubt. And it's funny that, uh, you know, Georgia's last opponent, Ohio State, of course, Georgia was a touchdown favorite, roughly. And, um, you know, the storyline was Ohio State being a favorite, an underdog. And a lot of the uh, Ohio State guys were like, we're not underdogs. (laughs) Right. And they proved it on the field. Uh, by playing a really good game. So let's uh, outline our show today. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about some college football news and notes. Uh, We will go uh, update our confidence contest. All the bowls are done. The national championship is all that's left. I'll ask a uh, trivia question, and then Bill and I will make our national championship picks, and then I will uh, give the trivia answer at the end of the show. Uh, One big note that came out, Yesterday, it looks like Bobby Petrino is resigning from his offensive coordinator job at UNLV before a practice even gets underway to take the offensive coordinator position at Texas A&M. Uh, Jimbo Fisher has finally decided that he is going to give up play calling, which is uh, one year too late, it looks like, as Texas A&M was 93rd in the nation in total offense and 101st in the nation in In scoring offense So Bobby Petrino, one of the most uh, Respected offensive play callers in the country uh, But also One of the most controversial Has decided to uh, leave UNLV And is going to uh, Join uh, Jimbo Fisher I've seen split opinions on this Whether it might work, whether it might not work I think you are in favor Where do you come down?
0: And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: He's a good offensive mind. Um, He's obviously a personality that, People can take or leave you. You saw the gamut of memes on the internet yesterday, but that's just part of the job here. Um, That's what they needed to do was hire somebody to get that offense going to work with Connor Wigman, who had eight touchdowns and no interceptions here down the stretch. And I mean, I like it. I the personality. Dynamic will be interesting, no doubt, because I mean those two are larger than life personalities in the sport that have people that have their mind made up about them. But it is the same guy that you know was hasn't been an offensive coordinator since 2002, by the way, with Auburn. So uh it's been 20 some years. But I, I think obviously, if if this is Bobby Petrino's way back into the Power Five, given all the controversy and things that he's been through i mean we do know like it's a lot like hugh freeze we know he can call offense
1: yeah i mean there's so you know matt hayes of um uh, saturdays down south made the point that this guy is a head coach and he's not used to being an assistant coach and it's going to be uh that the the, the two uh, egos are going to be tough to fit into the same room when jimbo fisher uh, while surrendering play calling clearly is an offensive guy and is going to want to be involved I've saw uh, Andy Staples of the, the athletic weigh in and said this is going to either be a huge success or a huge disaster, nothing in between. Um, so, I mean, I can see the positives, right? Because he is, he's been successful wherever he's gone. Uh, the, the Louisville thing crashed and burned at the end. Uh, they felt like, you know, the the term quiet quitting was <laughs> sort of thrown out there at the end of his tenure. But, you know, when he had Lamar Jackson, uh, they were terrific. He was terrific at Arkansas before he had his problems. So yeah, it's going to, you know, it makes Texas A&M, who is already a fascinating program to watch, even more fascinating.
2: Right. And and they need it this year. And the way too early top 25s are coming. We're working on ours and I'll spoil it a little bit. I'll probably rank them, probably because I see the upside. You know, they they have five-star quarterback, five-star receivers. Sometimes when you weed out all the guys that left in the transfer portal, okay. The guys that stayed back are still here in Jimbo, and they beat LSU in a game that reminded people that they could still play. They took Alabama to the last play, so we'll see if they put together it put it together next year with that offense. I mean, and Andy's right, and Matt's right, and I think Andy's right from the standpoint that it it, it does feel like boomer bust. There's no doubt. <laughs>
1: Another uh, interesting situation emerging, of course, we talked a little bit about it last podcast, was, you know, Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL again. The the consensus seems to be if he does get an opportunity, he probably would take it. And uh, we didn't really touch on too much the potential replacements at Michigan. Uh, Should he be the guy who... um, Um, Should he leave for the NFL? Now, one guy I thought of yesterday, kind of after our conversation, uh, is P.J. Fleck. He's a uh, guy who had tremendous success at Western Michigan, uh, has gone on to Minnesota, has been fairly successful, Uh, has got tons of energy, Uh, is only 42 years old, I think. What would you think if, you know... Does he fit the Michigan style? Would he be a guy that you would look at if you were Ward Manual?
2: Possibly. I mean, I think the easiest move that they would do was promote from within. And that would raise eyebrows because it would be very similar to what Ohio State did when Urban Meyer left. You know, we were doing like, is it going to be Matt Campbell? And then like within 10 minutes, it was Ryan Day's hired. So, I mean, they do love Sharon Moore and what he's been able to do. Uh, offensive lines won the Joe Moore award twice that's really hard to pull off um the um offense with Mike Hart and then he's another option Mike Hart although he's never been a coordinator or head coach another one would be Jesse mentor so I think those are the three that if they chose to promote with within and Sharon Moore probably the lead of the three if they go outside of that I mean anything' goes it's late in the cycle I mean PJ Flex certainly a name that would pop up Matt Campbell would probably pop up again, even though some of the, I mean, I feel like we do his name every cycle. And then after that, it's really hard to like, Oh yeah, that guy makes sense because,
1: well, here's one. Let me throw this guy at you. James Franklin. I think Penn state is kind of lukewarm, the fan base, at least they gave him a huge extension and everything. And I don't know how much he's still in love with Penn state or whatever. Um, Would you look at him?
2: I don't think they would. I, I mean, maybe, but I I don't see them going for a coach at another Big Ten school. That's the hard part here. I mean, like, I would just as soon see them take a flyer on. Somebody was texting me about this last night. I was like, well, why wouldn't you just go get Sonny Dykes then? I'm like,
1: yeah. Maybe. I mean, I mean he's yeah, a Texas you know, guy. He's...
2: Right. That probably won't happen. And that's the thing with Michigan, I always tell people, like, I always talk to you about fit mattering and no, no case more than when they hired Rich Rodriguez. That there was no fit there. None Who turned and,
1: down Alabama for Michigan,
2: <laughs> right? And it was a three-year disaster because of the fit. And Michigan, there is that whole—they've tried to destigmatize it, but there's still that Michigan man aura around the program. And uh, you know, Harbaugh probably, if anything, has amplified that because of what he's been able to do there. So, I mean, they could look at any number of assistants in the Big Ten. But I don't see them going for Franklin. Fleck would make – I think you could make a case for it. But I think if they were to go for a Power 5 coach, it would be outside of the Big Ten. And, you know, then you're looking at, what, Sonny Dykes, Matt Campbell. I mean, I would – you could call Lincoln Riley, I suppose. But, I mean, stuff like that. Those would be the hires that you would look at.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess
2: technically Lincoln Riley is inside the
1: Big Ten. He will be for sure. Mm-hmm. Um all right well let's uh update our confidence contests we uh picked three th- uh, we broke the bowls into three three segments um i won the first segment just barely in our confidence contest i won the second segment mm-hmm. 6 to 5 bill 6 5 uh, i guess wake forest was the one that pushed me over the top in that one you did get one point for your alma mater
2: yeah, that was the best, one of the best bull games. So, congratulations. I was well, that's what I get for giving Texas five points, and you know, just that the disaster that that was that bull game. But uh, everything for Texas was a disaster in that bull game, it, but including Sark's blow up before the game. So, oh, yeah, six six what to was five that? was the fun. Sark,
1: what are you doing? What is he
2: doing? Such you're a just, bully. What was that? You're just asking to get yelled at at that oh.
1: point. That was it. That was terrible. Um, Yeah. So that and then we went to the New York New Year's six. And I think you may have gotten more points, but I think I won the overall. Oh, no, you got. Let's see. You've got. um, No, you struggled. You got Ohio State at one. You had Bama at six. Yes. You had Bama at six. You got your six and your one. And that's it. In between, you struggled so well uh,
2: i took tennessee on our article but i didn't take them here so that's another one yeah Uh, so i was like i gotta double check my work next time so i had faith so in our article at sportingnews.com but anyway so i got
1: seven points and i pushed it uh i got eight points with uh Tulane and tcu coming through for me with the victories and that was what the whole contest boiled we down to that crazy two-lane finish. It'd be
2: like between the legs catch and a fifteen-point <laughs> loss. So I guess if I'm going to lose, that's the way to go.
1: And a fumble out of bounds at the one-yard line on the kick return. I mean, that that just wow! What an implosion by USC. So we will uh, we will have one more uh, pick coming up first, though some Trochi trivia. Last in-season Trochi trivia. Now I was going to ask you something about the national championship and your. Mastery of all that information from 1998 to 2002 to 22 is sort of unparalleled. So I, I'm going a little deeper. Okay, oh, no. I'm in trouble now. But we've got the theme of Georgia trying to repeat. So the last time Georgia tried to repeat as national champion was the 1981 season. Okay, mm-hmm. 1980 season. Uh, Herschel Walker was a freshman. Georgia went undefeated. They beat Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl. They won the national championship. 1981, they tried to repeat. Entering January 1 of that 1981 season, Georgia still had a chance to win the national championship. What had to happen for Georgia to win the national championship that season? That's my trivia question. See if you can remember. You are a good college football historian. We'll see how you do with that one. So, did they lose the bowl game before I even started? I'm, 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 we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to address wait. that at the end of the show. Okay. End of the show. So, right on. It was Herschel Walker's sophomore season. So, sophomore year. Now, let's turn our attention to this opportunity for Georgia to repeat as national champions. Um, Georgia is, I've seen the line tick down to 12 now. Right. And, uh, You and I have had some talks this week, and you have stated that this would be by far the biggest upset in national championship history, Uh, you know, the 98, when we've had clear national championship games, they started in 98. Um, If TCU pulls off the upset, I countered with Ohio State's win over Miami uh, in uh, 2000 two season i believe it was no uh and uh the double overtime when when uh ohio state upset that miami juggernaut um you tell me why it's uh, because the point spreads were similar but, you but said i feel it like, be uh, far be the, the the greater upset
2: i feel like we're have we had two different discussions when we discussed this though so like your point is miami 34 in a row and what what were you telling me? Some of those stats from that Miami well, team it was a twelve you...
1: and a half point, I think right. spread. And which Miami is Miami similar to this week.
2: Miami and Georgia's similar things though. Like Georgia lost to Alabama the one year, wins a title, wins another title. And as somebody reminded me this morning on the radio, they were a two atunga Valoa pass away from winning a third one. Like they they could be three and five, which is kind of what Miami was. Miami didn't win it, won it crushed Nebraska. And then they play Ohio state the next year. But my point is this, like it's not just the brand for me, Bill. It's the fact that that Ohio state team had 22 NFL players drafted the next three years. They had Maurice Clarette, who believe it or not, was the top recruit in the country and arguably the best player in the country that year. Uh, he made the most important play in that game too, when he stripped Sean Taylor of an interception and it, it's like they, they were an underdog. Sure. But it, when they got on the field, they matched up well with Miami and I like two series into that game. I was like, well, this is going to be a ball game. And it wasn't the Miami team from two years, the two years prior that had Reggie Wayne and Clinton Portis and Najee Davenport and was just loaded from cover to cover. Um, And that's kind of how I feel about Georgia. They're not as loaded as last year, which is a testament to what they're doing, but this is TCU bill. This is TCU. This is like, one of the smallest enrollment division one schools they haven't won a title since 1938 they came out of no they weren't ranked High state was like ranked 22 to start that season so I get that those point spreads are the same but if DCU wins this is an upset on it's on the Villanova plane the Villanova the well, sporting news will probably dust up the greatest upset list in college mm-hmm. sports and this mm-hmm. is this is Butler this is Yukon this I don't know if de wrote that but He probably should.
1: So yeah, uh, I'll I'll give you that. Ohio State was actually ranked 13th in the preseason that year, and they did climb through. Uh, My point uh, in defense of how big of an upset it was was just looking at Ohio State's results that year and looking at Miami's results. Miami kind of blew through their schedule. They had um, one, I think, two close games the whole year. Ohio State survived Cincinnati who before I remember that game Cincinnati was Cincinnati 23 to 19 uh they beat uh Wisconsin who was unranked uh, 19 to 14 uh, they beat Penn State 13 to 7 uh, they beat Purdue on a late touchdown pass right right yeah, that was to, the holy buckeye moment 10 mm-hmm. to 6 uh they beat Illinois who was unranked uh 23 to 16 Uh, They beat Michigan 14 to 9. I mean, they were, they were, you know, surviving by the skin of their teeth week after week after week after week. And they were playing a team that hadn't lost in two years, 34 game winning streak, had been crushing everybody. And I was just, you know, Craig Krenzel was obviously not a NFL, you know, prospect at quarterback. And I just, I was stunned that uh, the game, the longer it went, it was close, 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 close. And then, Obviously, Ohio State pulled it out in overtime. Yeah, that was, I mean, I remember where
2: I was watching it. Um, Nobody gave Ohio State much of a chance. That's true. Uh, I believe Brent Romberg, the Miami Center, they had an after-party planned for the win. Like, it was, (laughs) we won, and we're going to crush Ohio State. And that's why maybe 20 years later, like last week, didn't surprise me that much, is because when you give Ohio State that underdog card, whether they are truly the underdog or not, They do a good job with it, and they played Georgia tough, and they played Alabama tough. And that night, they they were the better team. And but as I was, somebody told me about. I was telling, talking about this argument with a friend yesterday. They said, "Well, there was a call in that game that Miami of uh, Florida people uh, still believe shouldn't have been made. That a defensive holding slash pass interference, whatever it was, that was a extremely late flag. But bottom line, Ohio State won it. But to me, again, it's if nobody. Nobody's giving like nobody gave TCU a chance to beat Michigan. You picked them in our picks. I give you total credit for that. <laughs> nobody. Well, we had one of our guys pick Edward, one of our content producers, pick TCU, but he's doing that because he can. Like that's one. Like okay, you you can put that on there. But what are you going to say if it's thirty-one nothing at halftime? Like that. That's my point. So I think Georgia. You know, very few people are giving TCU a chance. If they win, it is the most out of nowhere national champion probably since BYU in 1984 and that was in a, under a different setup so mm-hmm. that's why they they become a little dangerous they can go let it rip out there in LA
1: right and it's fun you know i talked about it this week a little bit that you know cincinnati made the playoff last year tulane wins the cotton bowl this year tcu's in the national championship this year we're getting a sprinkling of these programs that are never on this stage and they are succeeding and it's just kind of cool for the sport to have a little more diversity at the top the the big brands are never going away right but we're 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 sprinkling some new teams in and that's kind of cool it gives more hope across the country
2: you know why i think that's happening and and i i looked at this last night i wanted to share this with you on our podcast because i did some research so i think part of it is a product of it's just harder than hell to play defense in college football anymore. And, uh, I went through, so this year there were 11 top 10 games, 11 games. that were top 10 showdowns this year. The average score in those games was 39 to 25, which, you know, that's what, so that's a lot of points, right? That's you, the offense is scoring 40 points, the best games of the year this year. And I was talking to you about this the other day, Tennessee 52, Alabama 49, Um, TCU 51, Michigan 45, 42, Georgia, Ohio State 41, 45 Michigan, 23 Ohio State. Uh, So, like, you have, if you're going to get in the best games of the year, you have to score 40 points to win. You don't have to, but I mean, the winners are scoring 40 points. And Kirby touched on that a little bit in the teleconference, where it's just hard. It's probably drives the defensive guys crazy that you can play in these games, but, and that's why. Kind of the same thing I said last week, Bill. The higher this score goes, the better chance there is for TCU to have an upset. You know, if it gets into the 40s, they're comfortable playing ridiculous Big 12 shootouts. But that is part of college football. Tulane didn't flinch down 45 to 30. Think about that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that Kirby said after the game, uh, the Peach Bowl was, he he regretted the two-minute drive. I think I told you this, the two-minute drive before the half that Ohio State came down and scored in 55 seconds. Other than that, he didn't have a ton of complaints about his defense, and they still gave up 41 points, um, which goes to show you, yeah, exactly. That's what the college game is right now. Um, you have to be able to score big to win, no matter what the defenses throw at you. And so to talk about this game a little bit, let's let's look at, if I if if there's an advantage to be found, I think, for TCU, okay, if, when we're, let's talk about TCU's offense and Georgia's defense, right? Georgia consistently stops the run. They got a great front seven. They've had a great front seven basically since Kirby took over. Very difficult to run against them. Ohio State didn't even bother, really. I mean, right. they tried to keep them honest here and there, but what they tried to do was take advantage of of what they thought they could take advantage of, which was great wide receivers – against corners and secondary that are vulnerable relatively speaking to the rest of the defense and I think TCU's kind of built the same way uh Max Duggan uh is going to look at Quentin Johnston uh you know matched up against Kelly Ringo like Ringo is is you know some people have him as like a top 15 pick right and some people don't think he's very good at you know he's very physical but you can take advantage of him and Marvin Harrison beat him bad in the first quarter and a half of that game. And, you know, Duggan is more mobile than Stroud is used to quarterback draws, you know, designed runs. And I think that is another weapon against a really good defense when you can have a quarterback that can make something out of nothing. uh, That's going to help your cause too. So I I don't see – TCU trying to run the ball much other than trying to keep Georgia honest. They're going to try to throw the ball, take advantage of their wide receivers, and let Duggan create when he's under pressure um, and, and do some quarterback draws and things like that. But, you know, it's too bad. Kendra uh, Miller looks like, I don't know if he's going to You're play right. or not, but he, he's Say what? He's hobbled at he's the hobbled. very least. You're he's right. hobbled. DeMarcado had great game off the bench against Michigan had 150 yards. To me that's that's how TCU is going to attack Georgia.
2: Yeah, and their tackles have to hold up. That's what a Ohio State has two NFL tackles and they held up against that pass rush. And Georgia's gonna blitz, right? That's how you compensate if you have some issues on the back end. There you're gonna they're gonna come after him. And there was a couple hits CJ Stroud took, the one on the Bullard sack that was man, <laughs> I don't know how he got up from that one. So they're gonna come try to hit Duggan, but like you said, having a weapon to run in a quarterback's big, trying to they're going to take deep shots. It's what they do. Even if they're 50-50 balls, he's going to throw up a couple to try to get it to Quentin Johnston. Um, and they're going to let it rip. But, I mean, I think for them, like you said, the running game has to, even if it's a novelty, even if it's to throw Georgia off and keep them honest, they have to. They can't just abandon it and let Duggan stand back there and take shots because Georgia will take advantage of that. Um, you know, and then up front. I, TCU held up against Michigan for the most part. Michigan had some success getting after Duggan though, and that's what I'm saying. Like he has to, he's very good at buying time, buying time under under the blitz and and making plays that way. And we'll see if he can do it. If he can, I think we'll know pretty early if he can and how they adjust to uh, what George is going to try to do with Kirby Smart. I do think George is going to play a little cleaner on that side of the ball, especially early, uh, especially after what they saw Ohio State was able to do against them.
1: On the other side of the ball, you know how is Georgia going to attack TCU? Now we've seen Georgia. I look at the Tennessee game, and I looked at the Ohio State game. Uh, they came out throwing. I mm-hmm. think they like to attack you early, get a lead, and then grind you into the into the into the ground with those three great running backs. They tried to do that against Ohio State. They drove down the field the first first series of the game. I think six of the first seven plays were passes, and then they ended up missing a field goal. Ohio State took the lead, and they were always kind of in catch up mode, and they could never really concentrate on the run. The running backs had a terrific day. They averaged I think over nine yards of carry, but they were never in position to kind of run out the clock. They only led for fifty five seconds in the first half and then fifty two seconds in the second half. Um, right. which I think is also an interesting factor to talk about. We can touch about touch on that um, a- after we break down the offense versus defense. I think. TCU's defense seemed to confuse Michigan a little bit. They play this 3-3-5 or this three safety thing. Sometimes it's a 3-2-6, and McCarthy threw two pick sixes against it. And I I was reading that no Big Ten team really lines up like TCU does. The only teams in the SEC that line up like that are Arkansas and Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and Georgia didn't play any of those teams this year. And Mm -hmm. so I think that was part of the confusion TCU, while didn't have as much talent as Michigan, they ended up getting four sacks on McCarthy. I think part of that was McCarthy holds the ball too long a lot. Um, But TCU seems to make up the talent differential a little bit with this kind of alignment that's a little different than what other people play.
2: Oh, it it threw Michigan off for sure because I think TCU's linebackers played so well and they mixed in run blitzes that were – Like great calls. They had Michigan scouted up. And I mean, it's not like Michigan is overly sophisticated offensively. And I'm saying that in, you know, their their goal is to run it down your throat. And TCU stopped that. Um, It's funny you bring up Mississippi State because somebody asked Kirby about that on the uh, teleconference yesterday. And he was quick to point out that, and he said, Mississippi State structurally, the way that they do it is different. So that tells me they're taking a hard look at this TCU defense and what maybe what is different, how they can attack it from the running game. And I think the assumption is when you see a 3-3-5, we can run right at it. But Michigan, it took them a quarter. I think it almost took them a quarter and a half to figure out, well, we're going to throw against this. So I wonder if they turned Bennett loose with at least Bowers. We don't know about Darnell Washington. They were kind of mum on his status mcconkey's beat up but some of those young receivers for georgia stepped up and i think they're gonna have to do the same in this game um ad mitchell made some big catches they 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 they're gonna have to throw it down the field a little bit maybe to loosen it up and i think obviously like you said they they've taken a look at it and if tcu can confuse them mix in good run blitzes if their linebackers play as well as they did against michigan and again a good secondary right i mean hodges tomlinson's a good corner that's an nfl corner but Mm -hmm. uh Clark had a pick six. He'll get a shot in the NFL. They've got good players on the back
1: end. One factor when I was trying to build my case for the TCU over Michigan was that TCU had played in a lot more close games than Michigan, and then we would see if that played a factor in terms of not getting flustered and, and going back and forth. And TCU really did answer the bell uh, several times against Michigan. Michigan had some self-inflicted wounds in that game, and, and like I said, they were playing a close game. They played a close one against guess illinois i guess but you know um tcu had more pressure situations throughout the season uh you could say the same thing about georgia but georgia played 60 minutes of pressure football on saturday in the peach bowl and they played well and they answered when they had to they were behind the whole game Uh, they know what it feels like so i don't think that's much as much of a factor that's a that's a factor in georgia's favor um more so than say Michigan when they played TCU.
2: Well, and it's the big game thing. I mean, Georgia has been on this stage. They've been in the playoff three times, four, three times, three times. And they've been in the championship game now three times. And so that part of it, I think Stetson Bennett was on the roster for the Alabama game uh, when they lost the two us. So he's, he already got asked about that. He was, I think he was a scout team quarterback that year. So that part of it they're going to figure out there is a lot of logistical stuff to being in a championship game that you have to figure out they are both on the west coast which as strange as that sounds that's something you have to adjust to um you know being I, I think there's been one title game out here and that one was a total surprise Clemson and Alabama when they played I everybody picked Alabama for that game and Trevor Lawrence came out and was on fire I remember so a lot of things in that favor but I think just it, it it balances itself out. Georgia's been it. Georgia had their season pushed by Missouri too. Like that was one that you were like, Hey, they're down 10. And I never was like, Oh, they're going to lose. Had Ohio state got the fake punt through. They probably lose, but I, I still, it's weird. I don't know if you felt that way in the press box. I never felt like, Oh, Georgia's definitely going to lose until it said zero, zero, zero.
1: Now I started writing my story that Ohio state TCU was going to be this unlikely <laughs> national championship. And I had to, Come back had, and delete. The to whole edit thing. a little bit. That <laughs>
2: happens. I, I to be fair, when I always tell a story when Jake Fromm threw the touchdown pass against Alabama and they went up twenty to seven, I was like, all right, I'm gonna start writing. And then uh, Chuck show Ch- Chuck Culpepper with the Washington Post wrote an excellent. He he compiled all the um, columns of had Georgia won like that people were writing. Like the, it was like had George, they were, it was amazing. Like reading those. Cause it was like, that's one that you think, man, that would have been a great story.
1: So Chuck, <laughs> Chuck does a fantastic job with the Washington post and a good friend of mine too. That's funny. So, all right. I'm going to put you on the spot. I think, uh, my story, uh, my pick on sporting is I went Georgia 41, TCU 31. So I have mm-hmm. Georgia winning TCU covering, that is my official pick, and it's uh, a confidence of one since we only have one game.
2: <laughs> so, I I I'm gonna take Georgia 41 to 27. So I'll, I'll humor you and and have them cover, even though that's one is a if you follow our betting content at Sporting News, like you probably go TCU if you bet because that's just so many points of championship game. But I'm gonna I'm gonna humorize. I put 41 to 27. I think. TCU will make some plays and make it interesting. I hope for viewers' sake and our sake and everybody else that uh, it's um, a four-quarter game. But um, I just have a feeling that running game for Georgia will be a difference. When Georgia runs, they run violent. And you'll mm-hmm. know early, like right? Like if they break off some runs and it's really violent and they're just hammering TCU
1: with that, it's going to be a long night. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right, we shall see on Monday night. Back to the trivia question. Last time Georgia had an opportunity to repeat as national champions was 1981 season and entering the uh, January 1st. They still had a shot to be a two-time champion, to be a repeat champion. What had to happen on January 1st, 1982, I guess, for Georgia to repeat as national champion? That's my I know, question.
2: I know the national champion. I don't know. Now the pieces are hate. So Clemson won it that year. They won the Orange Bowl, and they beat Nebraska. Correct. Okay, so I got that part right. They probably needed – who would have been the Big Ten champ that year? Did did that matter? Did the Big Ten matter? Probably not. It did not matter. So the Sugar Bowl would have been Georgia versus – did they play Pitt that year or the next year? Yes, they did. So they lost to Pitt, and they lost to Dan Marino. Well done who threw a ridiculous touchdown pass and I can't remember the receiver's name and EJ Borghetti at P- Pitt, the SID over there at Pitt's going to have me for this for not knowing <laughs> who the receiver was, but he threw a, if you watch the highlight, it's a ridiculous throw. So, but, but there was no other piece involved other than No that. other
1: piece. Georgia entered January 1st, number two in the nation. Uh, and they were playing Pittsburgh mm-hmm. who had accepted a Sugar Bowl bid when they were the number one team in the nation two weeks prior. And then in the season finale, the regular season finale, Penn State destroyed Pitt, dropped Pitt to number 10. So now the Sugar Bowl was left with, uh, originally it was Pitt number one, Clemson number two, Georgia number three. (laughs) Clemson went to number one, Georgia went to number two, and then Nebraska was sitting there at number four. Clemson had accepted a bid to the Orange Bowl. And so the number one and number two teams who actually had met earlier in that season, Clemson beat Georgia earlier in that season. Right, uh, Number one and number two did not get to meet for the national championship. Clemson, so Georgia needed Nebraska to beat Clemson, and then they had to beat Pitt. Neither thing happened on that New Year's Day. Uh, Georgia ended up uh, finishing the season with two losses, and they finished number six. Pitt climbed from 10 to 4 with the win over Georgia. So.
2: so, like, yeah, you could add a Pitt-Clemson championship game in this current format, and Dan Marino would have had a chance to win a college football playoff championship maybe. Uh, yeah, I, so I knew that part. I just I, – I was making sure that I got that. I I do get Georgia's bowl games in the 80s mixed up a little bit. But, yeah, I still got it. So,
1: I can do – That was very well. Yeah, Herschel's three bowls yeah. were – that he beat Notre Dame <laughs> – as a mm-hmm. freshman, lost to Pitt and Dan Marino, and it was a fourth down, thirty yard R- pass with thirty ridiculous seconds to go. pass, ridiculous pass. And then his junior year, uh, they lost to Penn State in the Sugar Bowl. So they right. right. they went to three straight Sugar Bowls. Um, Todd Blackledge, I believe, was the yes. the Penn State quarterback for that one. So anyway, all right. Well, next time we talk to you, Bill, you will be in Los Angeles. We will uh, record that podcast on Saturday after Media Day. Safe travels, and we will want to thank everybody again for joining us here on the CFP Nation All-America Podcast.